Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Now, happiness can be an elusive goal if you decide to pursue it, and there are many people who can't conceive of happiness in their lives at all and accept whatever they have. Others would like happiness but are not sure how to achieve it, even in small doses. Well, my guest today has written a book about life and happiness. She's Emmy Award-winning producer Maria Baltazzi. Did I get it right, Maria? Baltazzi. Yes, you did. Well done. Author of Take a Shot at Happiness, How to Write, Direct, and Produce the Life You Want. Published by Post Hill Press and available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about Maria, go to mariabaltazzi.com and you can follow her on LinkedIn and Instagram. And Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Am I going to be happy at the end of this conversation? Yes, you're going to be very happy, or at least (laughs) you're going to have some tools to help you out with that. Excellent. So what possessed you to write the book? I should first, for our listeners and viewers, ask about your background so people will know why you decided to write the book, because you had an epiphany. So I'll let you do the talking and I'll, I'll stop talking. I wrote the book that I wished I would have had early in my journey. And yeah, being one of the original supervising producers on Survivor, you know, I was uh, one of the original producers for seven seasons, and I had a front row seat to seeing some of the best and worst of human behavior. Mm. And I always did the last episode. And so often I would be sitting in interviews, especially towards the end with the survivor contestants, and they would be saying, well, this isn't really me. This is me playing a game. And of course it's you. Those are your words and actions. It's, uh, you know, what I came to realize is that you have not, these, the contestants had not been put on a remote island without their creature comforts, without their, their family and friends around them vying for a a life-changing money to really know how they would behave in that situation. And so I realized we all have untapped potential that we don't fully understand until it's either tested, like the survivor contestants, or you explore it. And that's what my experience on, on Survivor did. It was a catalyst for for me to explore my happiness. And so I took that as partial inspiration to create a guide to happiness in a companion app that, that goes with the book. When you decided to write the book, did you do a research outside of your own epiphany and experiences on Survivor? Did you look to certain quote-unquote experts or did you do some reading in various forms of happiness, self-esteem, etc. Oh, it was quite a journey. I left the show and I went on to do other shows and I started to notice that other people's stuff were was becoming my stuff. I was taking on just too much things emotionally. And I realized that it was not healthy for me and it was not sustainable. And when you produce television, whether it's a large scale show like Survivor, where it's you know a team of hundreds, or you are with a small group of 
a cameraman, a sound guy, and, a, and an assistant. You know, often I'm in remote locations, and whether it's large or small, you're responsible for these people. You're responsible for their well-being. You're responsible for their their life. You know, some of these places that that I shoot in is they're dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so I was I was noticing that I was, uh, if you will, caring too much. And it was just uh, uh, impacting me. And so that on top of having that front row seat to looking at human behavior through my time at Survivor, you know, it was it was both a catalyst for me to start looking at my life and what was working for me, what was what was negative, what was unproductive. And eventually I qualified what made me happier. You know, things like having my faith, having loving relationships, having health in, in mind, body, and, and spirit. And so I qualified these for myself. And then I researched to see if there was science to back up what I was intuitively feeling and experiencing. And that became the happiness essentials, which are my chapters in, in my book. So yeah, my book came out of my experience. And yes, I, I read quite a bit. I did a lot of coursework. I got certifications. I eventually got a PhD in conscious living. So I have studied and practiced happiness, you know, the virtues and qualities of happy people, you know, the, the habits and and mindfulness and where I began my journey, and you're always on your journey, where, you know, life ebbs and flows and we change as, as we mature. So where I started my journey and where I am today is 180 degrees, and it's all in my book. When you were producing, though, that's a, a stressful job, number one. And as you said, you're in exotic and in some cases dangerous locales. I'm surprised that you didn't look at that and go, wait a minute, what am I doing here? <laughs> because I, I mean, did that you you talked about faith just a moment ago. Did you did you do some soul searching while you were in these seasons of survivor and go, what what in the world am I doing here being responsible for all these people and under the pressure of producing a television show at a network level? Did that all come together at one time? Well, oddly, I like it. I I like being in remote places. I like going where other people aren't often going to or if ever. I really like that adventure. It's just part of my DNA. Um, but it's not everybody's, right? It, no, it is right. not everybody's and I and I recognize that. And have I had moments of fear? 100%. Yeah. You know, you you do a story about African lions and you think you're following a pride of lions that are eight, eight lions throughout the night, only to come to first daylight to realize there was another lion around. And you could have, you know, <laughs> yeah, you go at some point, you have to get out of the vehicle to go to the bathroom and do things like that. And who knows what could have happened? You know, I've been charged by elephants, 
You know, I've been very close to the within touching distance of cheetahs that that were feasting on a kill. So yes, mm. you know, it's it can be very scary, but at the same time, it can also be such an adrenaline rush. So I I like that adventure. When you were, this is a really a side note, but it's just what, the way my mind works sometimes. When you were in the middle of nowhere, exotic and dangerous locales, did you have your own trailer since you're the producer? Or did you? No, you were in the rough, so to speak. Yes. So when it comes to, and every show is different. And also Survivor has evolved. Now, now it's in its 45th season Amazing. going into its 46th season. And when we did the very first season of uh, Survivor on the island of Borneo, they built makeshift huts for the producers to live in. I mean, very, very basic. It was just enough to have shelter, to have a, a place to wash wash ourselves and, and to sleep. There was nothing fancy about it. And then in um, Australia, season two, and Africa season three, we were in tents. We created our own tent city. And that it was often the case on, on some of the, the other shows that I did is that that we would create our tent city for for production. And yes, there are there were other productions where you did stay in a really nice hotel. Yeah. So it it depended on on um the production, the circumstance of the production and and the budget. When you were working on the book, was it after you finished all those seasons or was it during you were taking notes, perhaps, and had the idea, the epiphany, as you mentioned earlier? Or did you wait till after production stopped and then you said, you know what, I'm going to research this. I'm going for my PhD. I'm going to write this book and turn it into an app, et cetera. It's the writing of the book evolved over time. So Survivor was a catalyst for me to look at my my behavior. You know, I had a front row seat to the best and the worst of human behavior, which which was a catalyst for me to do an inward turn to look at my behavior. So and, wait, 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 I want to interrupt you. Because what, what was your worst behavior that you saw in yourself and what was the best behavior? Because I know you were watching human behavior under extreme conditions. But how about for yourself, if you want to share? What, what you thought was the worst that you were capable of and the best that you were capable of? And, and did you integrate that into the book? Uh, yes. And yes, I have, I have a very strong personality and I can be very righteous about my opinion on something. And I think that, that you know, there have been times, well, I know that there have been times during production, whether it was on Survivor or other uh, other productions, you know, they're all stressful in their own way, where I was just too adamant about what I wanted. It, it, as a leader, as someone who is running a show, you you are you are the vision. You are the one who is guiding everybody. You're telling people, you know, what is the story? What are the stories you follow? You're you're following, yeah. So you have to give a, a a lot of guidance, but you're also working with other create creative people, and and they they have their vision depending on what their expertise is, whether they are, are someone who deals with 
the photography or the lighting or the editing. And, you know, sometimes you have creative differences and, and I wasn't, I have not always been the easiest person to deal with when I wanted, when I wanted things as I wanted them. And then there are other times when, and, and this was part of what, what I discovered for myself in terms of not being sustainable emotionally is that I cared so much. So if, if somebody was, was cold, yeah, I would literally give them the shirt off my back. I would, I would just give them stuff. You know, one of the examples in going back to Survivor, since that's, that's, you know, something that is a, a common reference point is I would show up at the, at, I would show up on the beaches with the very first cruise and go back to our base camp with the very last cruise more times than not. And it's because I was concerned about the welfare of the survivor contestants. You know, not that I could do anything. I couldn't give them food. I couldn't, I couldn't fix their shelter, but I could be there in case something happened to one of them. So I took that, I took that seriously. So I, I, you know, I feel like that, that was a, that, that was a good quality. No, (laughs) absolutely. Just that, just that care. And, and the contestants knew that. Now, I, I did have I did have a, a reputation amongst the contestants that I was the one who cared. I was the one who would show humanity. Not I, that I I'm can, saying I that can, the I, other producers did. Right. I don't want to give that impression. No, but. no, but it is a challenge because if you're if you're on the other side of the camera, there has to be some distance in order for you to professionally produce the show and direct the show and film the show and or tape the show and all of that. So I can I can see where that dilemma comes in where some people on the crew or even other producers, directors are not going to get too close to the contestants because that that doesn't give them the objective eye that they need for the show. Well, but, and legally you can't. Right. Because they're vying for a million dollars. You know, you, whether as a producer in the way you are framing your questions or the cameraman, how they're interacting with the the contestants. You know, sometimes the sound guy, when you're going to tribal council, they have to mic you up, things like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever that interaction is, you have to be very mindful of it because you, you could be accused of affecting someone's game. Yeah. So I took the fly on the wall quite seriously when when I was when I was producing the show but they still and, knew and, that but they still knew, knew that you were the one that cared as to other people on on the crew because right. you obviously yeah you projected that I just want to mention before we get into the book itself that you have a background you have an MFA in film from Art Center College of Design and then a PhD in conscious centered living from the University of Sedona and that's interesting. I didn't realize they had a university. I know they had the red rocks out there and the pink jeeps, but I didn't realize they had the college there too, or the university there too. When you were putting the the book together, how did you decide to structure it? Because I know you have eight happiness essentials, and there are other elements of the book. So how did you decide once you did your additional research? How did you format that? Might be the better term. How did you decide to format the book? 
Well, I looked at my book, I looked at the chapters like I would an episode, creating an episodic series. So when you go through my book, you will notice that every chapter, every happiness essential begins the same way. There is an overview of that chapter, whether it's faith or love. And then there are eight points, and I use the number eight intentionally. If you turn it on its side, it's infinity. So you're always you're always changing. And then at the end of each one of those eight, what I call them snapshots, uh, I use I use uh, photography terminology. You know, take a shot of happiness. It's photo ops and all right. Exactly, it's both a call to action as well as what you are doing throughout uh, the journey in my book. So after each snapshot, then I have a centering thought and an affirmation. So when you later do the photo ops and especially the journaling, the action opportunities, you use those specific centering thoughts and affirmations to get you into writing uh your thoughts about that particular uh, action, uh, that particular um, bullet point, that snapshot. And then I come to the end of it, uh, of that happiness chapter. And then I give a big picture. And um, I give a big picture. And then I give the assignment. So everything is laid out like it was an episode, you know how it's going to begin, you know what's going to you're going to find in the center, and you know how it's going to end each chapter. I like that. So you took your own uh, production background and put it into the book in terms of how you structured it. When you were doing your research for the book, and you had the epiphany, as we mentioned earlier, you, I'm sure you saw there were probably, who knows at this point, thousands of books on happiness, self-realization, reflection, etc. So you had to think through how best to approach the subject and make it different from all those other books and all those other articles and journals, etc. Was there one thing that you thought of that would point the way and what would that be? Yes, yes. And I gave a lot of thought for exactly what you said. How was my book going to be differentiated from the other happiness book? That It's creativity. I I also wanted to write a book, even though I have a degree, I also wanted to create a book that was relevant to my background, that people would understand, you know, the the credibility that I was writing my book with. It's, It's coming from a creative background and using a creative approach and wanting it to make Learning happiness, learning the virtues and qualities and habits of of uh, happy people. I wanted to make that be something that was fun and accessible because you tend to do the things that you enjoy. You gravitate towards that. And for me, in my journey, uh, using uh, my cell phone, taking photos of things that brought me joy that gave me a moment of, of peace and reflection, what was and has been huge. For almost five years, every day, I would take a photo of one thing that brought me happiness. So even if I was having a chaotic, upset day, I could just focus on one thing that would give me peace 
for that moment during that day. And so I took that forward in a very significant way into my book. So taking photographs, they're they're guided, they're prompted photographs that are specific to love or to faith or, or to gratitude. So you understand how this fits into your happiness framework, not mine, but yours, that you're making it specific to you through the images that you take that are meaningful to you and then journaling about that. So it takes the intellectual thoughts that you are reading about, you know, um, the intellectual thoughts about happiness that you are reading about, takes them from your head and it, and it brings it into your heart. You, you integrate it. And the more you integrate it, the more you see the benefits, the more you see the benefits, you, you start to form the habit, you start to create a positive neural pathway in your brain towards the good, and it becomes your way of being. And that is exactly what has happened to me. When you mentioned about using your phone, and it's a great idea to record and to take pictures of one thing a day that brought you joy or happiness. Did you ever look at it and say to yourself, okay, half of what I'm taking pictures of are inanimate objects and the other half are of people? In other words, that what sparked joy in you, would it be in one case, maybe a, a bowl of fruit that looks really great because you're hungry? Or was it a person that just expressed something that you, you caught with your camera or your phone? Yes, yes and yes. Yes, because different things trigger happiness. And then the other beautiful thing about taking images and images within the framework of understanding your happiness. Now, I call myself a happiness explorer, you know, one who seeks to better understand themselves and, and what makes them happy, you know, what makes you happy. And that's what I'm encouraging readers to be. Go explore. You know, we learn to be doctors and lawyers and filmmakers, but we're not taught how to live well. And that's what the intention of my book is, is to give that guidance in a way that helps you understand and seek out positive moments throughout your day. And when done consistently over time, it, it reshapes your, your well-being. Yeah, you mentioned creativity. I'm wondering, can creative people, because I know a lot of creative people, and a lot of them don't know the concept of happiness because... It's just maybe it goes with the territory. Some are neurotic, some are depressed. Or can you be creative? And, and obviously, I, the answer in your book is yes. Can you be creative and happy at the same time? Yes, I am. Yes, <laughs> I, I am. Yeah, yeah I, I am. And I, I, you know, we come into the world with a happiness set point. And this is something that uh, Sonia Lubomirsky, who is a a well-known happiness researcher out of the UC Riverside, she put forth the concept of the happiness set point and describes it in the shape of a pie, where 50% is defined by your DNA, you know, what you come into the world with from your parents. And then 10% is your life circumstance. And then 40% is what you do, your intentional activities, your choice to be happy. And my feeling is that it, when you choose to be happy and you back it up by intentional activity done consistently, you impact 
your life circumstance. So that 40% actually expands. And you know, the study of epigenetics says, and I'm, really I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> that you have to be in a certain environment just because you are predisposed to something doesn't mean that will be so for you. You have to be in the right environment for those genes to fire off. So there is a lot that you can have in your control. So even if you are a crabby creative person, you can still make that your choice and your intention and do something about it to, to shift. You know, it, people often ask me, what is the key to happiness? It's choice. And then backing it up by doing something, just saying, oh, I want to be happy. We all want to be happy. Action. But you have to you have to do something about it. If you just talk about it, then you're just dreaming. You're just wishing. The thing that I'd like people to know above and beyond that happiness is a choice is that happiness is another word for resilience in that you learn the virtues and qualities and habits of happy people so you can recognize challenging times sooner, navigate them, you'll have the emotional tools to navigate them better and get on the other side of these challenges more emotionally intact. And that's what my book and app helps readers do. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Emmy Award-winning producer Maria Baltazzi, and that's not easy to say, author of Take a Shot at Happiness, How to Write, Direct, and Produce the Life You Want. It's published by Post Hill Press, and it's available on Amazon, Barnes, and Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything about Maria, you can go to mariabaltazzi.com, and you can follow her on LinkedIn and Instagram. And Maria, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been a treat. Thank you, and join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.